What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Good to be back with uh, you folks this week. Uh, Got a good amount of stuff this week. You know, I think it might be a little bit shorter as we're, you know, recording this Monday morning before the Patriots game. So, you know, doing kind of a little bit of a preview today as opposed to, you know, recap if the Patriots played yesterday. So maybe a little bit shorter today, but obviously plenty of Patriots, plenty of Bruins, plenty of Celtics, um, and then plenty of other stuff, you know, going on in the sports world as well with the uh, baseball postseason with the World Series matchup now being set after the games yesterday. So we'll get to that certainly today. Um, but I think we're starting with the Patriots, starting with uh, Monday Night Football. Uh, before I go any further, though, I would like to say thank you to everyone that uh, submitted questions for the mailbag last week. Uh, it was great. You know, we got a lot of questions. Uh, it was really fun. If you have not listened to the mailbag episode, you can on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You know, I love to do those every once in a while, um, just a good way to get people engaged. Um, but as always, you know, if, uh, you have any questions about anything, don't hesitate to ask, you know, I'd be willing to answer questions during one of these episodes, you know, or if it becomes a question I can save for a different mailbag. But, uh, that being said, I think we're going to get going, talk Patriots, um, obviously Monday night football tonight at Gillette, uh, Patriots and Bears, it could be some rain in the forecast, so you know, may affect how the game is played tonight. But the good news tonight is that it appears that Mac Jones is healthy, ready to go, expected to play according to the uh, latest updates. I believe uh, Jeff Howe of The Athletic reporting that Jones is expected to start tonight bearing any type of setback. So you'd like to think that Mac Jones returns after missing uh, three games with the high ankle sprain. You know, I think that Patriots probably couldn't have asked for a better backup situation, you know, bringing in Bailey Zappi and he was able to win two of the three games that he played in, you know, didn't officially start the first game in Green Bay, but I think for all intents and purposes played that entire game, you know, other than the series that Hoyer played and then got injured the next series. So, I think the Patriots made out pretty well in those three games. You know, clearly, I think the last two games, the Patriots played teams that, you know, not exactly the best football teams on the planet. You know, not exactly a great football team the Patriots are playing tonight. But I do think that that might lead, you know, lend to the thought that the Patriots thought, okay, this is a good game for Mac Jones to get into if he's fully healthy and is 100% healthy. So... He starts tonight, you know, I think that it's good to have him back. I think just from a a leadership standpoint, you know, he was voted a team captain this year. And, you know, there's definitely had been some stuff floating around last week about, you know, his supposed, you know, uh, I don't even really know what to call it, but... You know, that's not a report that really was founded at all. Shocker. Um, 
that Mac is not a good leader or, you know, has an attitude problem or whatever was said. Um, I don't really think that I need to address any of that because it's, I think, just a blatant lie. Um, but I do think from a leadership standpoint, it's good to have him back. Good for the team to see, okay, here's our quarterback, here's our leader. He's back in the game. And I think no disrespect to Bailey Zappi, but I think that a lot of the guys on the team follow Mac and a lot of the guys respect him as, you know, a young leader and kind of a leader of this football team. So I think it will be good to have him back. Um, I think that hopefully the Patriots can make things easy for him on offense. You know, the Patriots can hopefully kind of use the type of offense they were using with Zappi the last two weeks and not be having Mac throwing too many deep balls. I mean, obviously you want to see the deep ball from time to time, but I do think that the Patriots probably want him to be a little bit more conservative in this game. I think just based on maybe the weather conditions, the fact that he's returning from the ankle sprain, um, and just a couple of different factors that I think might lead them to believe that they don't really need to be making a lot of explosive plays through the air because they're playing an offense um, in Chicago that is one of the worst in the league. So I don't really think that they necessarily have to be having Mac Jones throw for 300 yards, throw the football 35 times. Like, I don't think that that's the type of game they're going to play. I do think that, sure, Mac will make some throws, but I do think that with Ramondre Stevenson playing at the high level he is, Damian Harris returning, I think, from the hamstring injury, that the Patriots can kind of play this ground and pound type game. You know, maybe you see... Mac Jones hitting the tight ends more in this game, um, with the Patriots likely to be without Aguilar and, um, well, Aguilar is questionable. Kendrick Bourne is also questionable, but it doesn't appear that he is expected to play according to Mike Giardi. So Patriots could possibly be without two of their top receivers. And so that might also lend itself to be okay if, it's Myers, Devontae Parker, and Thornton that are the only healthy receivers. It might make more sense if the Patriots use more of the tight ends today or tonight. I think using the tight ends in a receiving aspect, but also in a blocking aspect, because I do expect the Patriots are going to run the ball a lot tonight. Chicago is one of the worst teams defending the run. So I think from an offensive standpoint, I don't really think that the Patriots are going to be doing anything crazy. I don't think they're going to be scoring. I don't think that they are that they need to score 35 points to win this game. You know, it's not like they're playing Kansas City or Buffalo where they need to score that many points to have a chance to win. Um, this is a Bears team that really has struggled to do anything offensively. They do have a pretty good running game, which I think could be an interesting, interesting wrinkle for the Patriots because... You have Chicago where they have two, you know, somewhat decent running backs in Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, but they also have Justin Fields who can run, you know, at 88 rushing yards, I think, in his last game. So it could be kind of an interesting, an interesting test for them. You know, you saw how they did against Lamar Jackson, not really as good, not trying to compare the two guys, but I do think that there is an emphasis with the Bears to run the football. They actually statistically are one of the better teams running the ball in the league. So 
it'll be interesting to see how the defense kind of lines up. But I think from an offensive standpoint, I don't think that you're going to see the Patriots doing anything crazy in this game. You know, if the Bears defense gives them a lot through the air, the Patriots will probably take it. But oddly enough, the Bears actually are pretty good against the pass. Um, Eddie Jackson, I believe, is three or four picks this year. So I think this is more of kind of a run, grounded pound type of game. I think you could see a similar game to the Detroit game where the Patriots kind of just establish the run, not really trying to do anything crazy through the air. You know, and clearly if their weather conditions are going to be part of the game tonight, it may not make sense to be throwing the football all over the place, you know, risking a ball slipping out of Max hands, receivers dropping passes and things like that. Not to say that they're not going to pass the ball, but I think probably tonight you're going to see more of an emphasis to run the football, I think especially not with Damian Harris healthy. So I think that's what you're going to see from their offense tonight. I think looking at the rest of the guys that are questionable tonight, Lawrence Guy is questionable, Nelson Aguilar questionable, uh, Sean Wade, Anthony Jennings, Jalen Mills, um, Isaiah Wynn, and Michael Wenu, I think have been questionable um, at various points. Christian Barmore, excuse me, uh, Christian Barmore was ruled out of the Browns game with an injury um, to his knee. He is questionable, so may or may not see him tonight. And Kendrick Bourne also was hurt in the Cleveland game. It doesn't appear that he is going to play. So I think it'll be interesting to see if Barmore and Guy can't go. You know, how do the Patriots, how do the Patriots have that next man up? You know, they're probably going to rely a lot on Devon Godshaw. Uh, Carl Davis, some of those guys on the interior to kind of slow that Bears running game. So I think from a defensive standpoint, how do the Patriots defend against the run? I think the biggest thing is you force the Bears to throw the football because, you know, they're not a very good offense with the pass. You know, Fields has had issues. Their offensive line is not very good. You know, they really don't have a lot in the receiving department. Um, that really strikes fear into many teams. You know, I think Darnell Mooney is a decent receiver, but I don't really think that this is a team that's going to be challenging the Patriots. You know, I think even with Cleveland last week, you know, had Amari Cooper, had Donovan Peoples-Jones, but Chicago's offense, I just think with Fields struggling as much as he has this season, the offensive line struggles. They don't really have receivers that have the have the potential to take over a game. So I'm not thinking the Patriots defense is going to have a tough time tonight, but I think for them to be successful, get to the quarterback, win the battle in the trenches, and I think you should be fine. You know, this is not an offense that is capable of scoring a lot of points. You know, they average 15 a game. So, you know, I don't think the Patriots are going to have much trouble with this team, you know, this is a game that they should win and should win easily. You know, not going to say that they're going to score 30 or 40 points, but, you know, they're certainly capable of that. But I think the score is going to be a little bit closer than we think. I think like 27 to 13, something like that, you know, 31 to 14, something like that. I think you could see the score tonight. So I realize that recording today, Monday morning prior to the Patriots-Bears game, uh, that the next time we, we speak, uh, <laughs> a week from today, the Patriots will have played two games 
because the Patriots play the uh, New York Jets next weekend on the 30th in New York. So the Patriots will have played two games by the next time we talk. So uh, taking a quick look at the Jets, uh, who are 5-2 and two and playing some good football, not really sure about this team. You know, they're kind of a weird team because the wins that they've had all against teams that they think don't really have great offenses, to be perfectly honest, are the teams that have shown offensively this season. You know, if the five wins that they've had, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Miami, Green Bay, and the Broncos. You know, they beat the Dolphins without Tua. Green Bay and Denver have obviously had their huge struggles offensively. And the Steelers, you know, struggled last night. Kenny Pickett threw three interceptions. And the Browns, you know, and that was a close win. The losses this season are against the Ravens and the Bengals. So I think that the record is a little bit deceiving with this team because I don't really think that Zach Wilson is necessarily setting the world on fire. You know, he started four games, 57% completion percentage. You know, he has one touchdown pass. Um, Brees Hall has kind of been their breakout player on offense. He, though, was carted off the field with an injury yesterday. So, you know, the Patriots may dodge a bullet that they won't have to deal with the Jets' kind of best offensive player. But I do think that the Jets are a good defensive team, and I think that's kind of where they've made up for maybe the, the quarterback play not being great. You know, it's interesting that Joe Flacco actually had pretty good numbers through the first couple of games, and then Wilson came in. But, you know, they're scoring points. The defense is not really allowing a lot of points. You know, LaMarcus Joyner's had a good season. He has three interceptions. C.J. Mosley is always a solid player. He has 70 tackles. Um, you know, and then Sauce Gardner, the rookie, has had a pretty good season so far as well. So I think that this could be an interesting defensive game that the Jets have some pretty decent playmakers on defense. Um, so I think that game will be interesting. I think the Patriots still should win. You know, I think that, uh, as I said, I think the Jets' record is a little bit deceiving. Um, but this is on the road, and you never know. I think that this is a Jets team that I think is marketably better than Jets teams in the past. So I think the Patriots have to be careful. You know, take care of the football, establish the run, you know, make smart plays, take advantage of the mistakes of the Jets. So very curious to see how the Patriots perform in that game. You know, hopefully it gets whatever happens tonight can carry over from the positive side. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to that game, uh, which is the 30th on uh, Sunday afternoon. That's a 1 o'clock start. But obviously the game tonight, 8.15 on ESPN. Patriots and Bears. Patriots are an 8.5-point favorite. Uh, Over-under is set at 40. So, again, I do think the Patriots win. I think the Bears do a little bit better offensively than we expect, but I do think the Patriots win rather easily in this game tonight. So we'll talk more Patriots with you guys next week after the Patriots will have played two games. Um, we'll talk more about the NFL later in the podcast. So I think we're going to move on. I think we're going to talk Bruins. You know, it's uh, continued to be a great start for the Bruins. You know, last week, 
you know, I think we talk about, you know, four games and games that I think were going to be challenging in their own right. And the Bruins responded, you know, won three out of four. The one game they lost, you know, the Bruins definitely looked behind the eight ball. You know, defense wasn't good enough. The goaltending suffered, but that was the second of a back-to-back. And that was after the Bruins had a good win um, against a Florida Panthers team that I think in the offseason, in my opinion, they got worse. But they're still a good team. And the Bruins, I think, passed that test with flying colors. That was really kind of the first... I think it was kind of the first big test that the Bruins had this season, you know, after the first two games that they played against Arizona and Washington. But the Bruins responded, you know, held on despite being up by three goals in the third period. Panthers get a couple back. Uh, but Jake DeBrusque was really good in this game, get two goals. Um, and the Bruins win that game in Florida, or excuse me, win that game in Boston against Florida. Um, and then losing to Ottawa 7-5, to five, Bruins coming back from a three-goal deficit, almost came back from another three-goal deficit, but Ottawa wins 7-5. to five. Um, Anton Strollman did play in this game because his visa issues, I guess, allow him to play in Canada. So he was in that game, but kind of looked lost in the minutes that he played, and I can't really blame him. Kind of hasn't had too much practice time with this team during the season. Um So the Bruins just kind of lost off defensively in that game. Ottawa just very talented with what they can do with the forwards. You know, Bruins obviously putting five goals in the net, but I think that Jeremy Swayman did not really have a good game in this game. So, you know, I got a question about that last week. And I think that it might just be it's the beginning of the season and he's just for some reason having some struggles. You know, he saw it with Olmark at the beginning of last season. So... I don't think it's really a major concern yet. You know, I think when we've seen him play poorly through the in the time that he's been here, he's not played poorly for an extended period of time. You know, maybe he's had a couple of bad starts, but I do think that he's capable of picking it back up. Um, but he really wasn't good in this game. Bruins' defense wasn't good. Um, but the Bruins respond with a good defensive effort against Anaheim, winning 2-1 to one in the shootout, um, and then obviously beating the Wild on Saturday afternoon in overtime. So the Bruins sit at 5-1 and one and are playing just some exceptional hockey. Um, and I think it's a testament to this new style that the Bruins are playing, that it's, you know, up-tempo, playing with pace, and I think it's, it is, I think, playing to the strengths of certain players, and I think that it's, you know, it's really important that I think this was one of the things that, this was one of the reasons why the Bruins, I think, made this hire of Jim Montgomery, that they wanted to try to play at a faster pace, because I think if you play at a faster pace, you're more likely to get better scoring chances, and the Bruins have had better scoring chances this season. They've buried them, so I think it's great. You know, I did think that, and I think I said this maybe, during the offseason that I wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins get off to a hot start because I think just coming into a new season, responding to a different coach, you know, this is a team that, if you remember way back when, when Claude Julien got fired, Bruce Cassidy comes in and the Bruins went, you know, 18-8 and eight down the stretch to make the playoffs. So 
I think that this is a group that immediately responds well to change. And I think it's a testament to the leadership and the culture in that room. While the Bruins may not have Brad Marchand and Matt, Charlie McAvoy playing, they still have that great culture with Bergeron, with Taylor Hall, with David Pasternak, David Krejci, things, guys like that. So I've been really pleased with how they've responded. And I do think that there have been a couple of guys that have responded really well this season may not be it may not be because of the coaching change and the style change necessarily but i think it's good to see that you're seeing good production from aj greer and nick felino you know two guys that i think we weren't really sure what they were going to do this season uh, greer's been really good five points in five games he has three goals um, and nick felino has three goals has already more goals than he had last year so you know, there may be some truth to the fact that maybe he was playing hurt a little bit last year and it kind of affected his play. But I mean, clearly, if he has three goals already, something has changed. So I think the fact that he's scoring goals tells you that, okay, this is this type of, you know, offense or this type of. And I don't know if the depth scoring has to do with the change of pace necessarily but it's just great to see that you're getting depth scoring you know Pasternak still the best best offensive player on this team I think 10 points in six games but you know Krejci has come back you know right where he picked up right right where he picked up you know seven points in six games Taylor Hall I think after a slow start has played excellent hockey over his last two games he's up to five points AJ Greer is five points Jake DeBrusque has five points you know, I like I've liked what I've seen from Pavel Zaka. He hits a goal and three assists. Hampus Lindholm has a couple goals this season. Connor Clifton is playing probably the best hockey that he's ever played in his career. He has four points, four assists in six games. And even, you know, kind of the bottom six guys, Coyle has three points. Trent Frederick has a goal and an assist. You know, Jacob Lauko has an assist and a goal taken away um, in the Arizona game, so Maybe he gets his first goal sometime soon. So it's just excellent to see that the Bruins are playing at a faster pace and they're guys that are burying their chances. And I think that's kind of been the issue with this team over the last couple of years is the depth scoring. And, you know, if it's not going to come from Pasternak and your top guys, where else are you going to get goals from? So it's great to see that A.J. Greer has scored some goals. Nick Foligno has scored some goals. Um, Trent Frederick hasn't exactly been scoring goals all the time, but I think that he's playing at a pretty good clip so far this season. I think just being engaged um, and showing the Bruins that he's more than just kind of a fourth-line pest player. You know, he can be a legitimate NHL player. So great to see from him. Um, I think looking more at the goaltending, clearly Jeremy Swayman has struggled early on. Bruins, I think, are going to try to get him going. He will start tomorrow night when the Bruins play the Dallas Stars. Swayman struggled through the first two games, you know, giving up a, have a, has a 540 goals against average, which obviously is, is pretty horrible. But I think there's nowhere to go but up for him. And Linus Allmark, I think, has picked up the slack. He's 4-0, 223 goals against, and 929 save percentage. And in my opinion, I think stole that game Thursday night against the, the Anaheim Ducks. 
you know, Bruins got uh, the one goal from Taylor Hall. Olmark was huge in overtime, great in the shootout. Uh, he also, I thought, made some big saves in Saturday afternoon's game. The Bruins clearly, you know, had some trouble with Marc-Andre Fleury, some of the saves that he was making, but, you know, Olmark was huge, and he's been huge so far this season, so... I think it's just good news that the Bruins have one goalie that's playing really well. You know, obviously you would like both guys to be playing well, but, you know, this is kind of how the season started last year. But the opposite, you know, Swayman was playing really well. Olmark kind of struggled to find his find his groove, but then he found it and he played really well at times last year. So it'll be interesting to see how Swayman does against Dallas. You know, Dallas is a team that has a lot of talented goal scorers. So, you know, hopefully he improves and hopefully the Bruins are a little bit better around him than they were in Ottawa last Tuesday. So you hope that he has a little bit better of a stretch this week in the games that he plays. So that will be something to take to be paying attention to, I think, for the next couple of games, whatever games he starts. So some other kind of Bruins notes, Matt Grizzlick is back in the lineup, you know, unbelievably. I really thought that uh, the Bruins were going to be without him for a good period of time. You know, I think the initial <clears throat> the initial time that he was going to be out was, you know, until early November, but clearly he's back. He's played two games and does not look like he's missed a beat. He has a couple of assists in two games, and I think he's really adjusted well to the quicker pace. You know, he's a guy that's a great skater, does is not shy to get involved offensively and I think it just gives the Bruins confidence that he's pretty responsible defensively despite the size um, and I think playing having him play with Hampus Lindholm is not a bad idea I think that it's a good way to kind of get him acclimated back into the team and I think playing a way that his skill set really really translates well to, you know, playing with this quicker pace. So just great to see him back in the lineup. Um, Anton Strawman, it does sound like the visa issues have been figured out, so it does sound like he will be available to play at some point. Um, I think that he could have played Saturday, but I think the Bruins would like him to get a little more practice time. So who knows, you could see him playing uh, Tuesday night. Bruins played Thursday night as well, and then Friday in Columbus. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. You know, he's a guy that played really well in training camp and preseason and just gives the Bruins another solid guy that you really don't have to worry about. You know, obviously didn't play well in that Ottawa game, but I think it was kind of just a one-off. And, you know, hopefully with more practice time, he can just be a solid, you know, seventh, eighth defenseman, whatever it is right now. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, though, when the Bruins get fully healthy, what's the role going to be for him? You know, I think that probably is not going to be an every every day in the lineup type of guy, but I think that him at, you know, 36, 37, whatever age he's at, that I think he gets it and gets that, you know, I'm here to, to win. And, you know, playing 70 games is not exactly what matters to him. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. So, but it is interesting that I think it's going to definitely be kind of crowded when McAvoy comes back. You know, Grizzlick's already back, and, you know, it just it makes me wonder about someone like Mike Riley, and I think that he 
is another player that has adapted really well to this you know, quicker pace with the offense and I think that has played well at times. Um, you know, has made some mistakes, but I don't think it's mistakes that he's made. You know, I think it's more like the system the Bruins are playing, they're more susceptible to be giving up a lot of chances the other way. So it's not necessarily his fault that he's getting beat up the ice. It's kind of the way that the Bruins are being coached. So I do have to think, though, he might be the odd man out because I think if you think about McAvoy coming back and then Carlo coming back healthy, you know, hopefully he can come back soon. You know, that's two guys on your right side, and then you have Clifton and Forbert who have been a really good pair together. So undoubtedly you're going to have Grizzlick and Lindholm playing on those first two pairs. And then it's like, okay, you have Mike Riley and Jakob Zaborl as your extra defense, as your extra D. And I think Mike Riley has kind of made it known that he doesn't want to be that extra person. So you have to think that he might be the odd man out when everyone gets healthy. You know, it's unfortunate, but it has to be someone. Um, so I think just with the Bruins cap situation, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, Craig Smith, I think is someone else that could get traded. Hasn't really had a great start to his season. You know, I think that the games that he's played, he's looked engaged, but I think the Bruins would like to have more from him. I think there's definitely a case that he could get traded at some point, and the Bruins figure out that someone like Mark McLaughlin could come in and play that type of role. They could call up Lysel. I just don't think it's a good idea. I think he is just a guy that I just would like to have in Providence for the entire year. You know, I think unless there's something drastic that happens, like, okay, say, you know, Pasternak or Jake DeBrusque or one of your top forwards gets hurt, you know, then maybe you think about it. But I think it's just better for him to getting get seasoned in the AHL. I do think that he left a Providence game a couple of nights ago with an injury. So, you know, not, not saying that you're going to see him anytime soon, but I think it'll just be good, better for him to adjust to the American style playing hockey before you kind of just throw him into the Bruins. So, you know, something to kind of think about. Um, one of the things I've liked with Jim Montgomery is he's kind of been rotating some of the guys in and out in the bottom six. You know, you saw Jacob Lauko come in and out of the lineup. Same thing with A.J. Greer. You know, it wasn't exactly a negative with A.J. Greer coming out of the lineup. It was just the fact that the Bruins wanted to get different looks at different guys. I think Lauko has looked really good. He looks like he belongs the way that he has played in some games. Just really aggressive on pucks. So that's good to see. It's good to see from A.J. Greer. You know, you've seen Trent Frederick in some games, and I think he's looked pretty engaged. Um, but I think clearly the Bruins have some guys in Providence that could absolutely get called up at some point if there's an injury or something like that. But it was interesting that the Bruins had Craig Smith sit for a couple games. You know, I don't know what that says. I don't know if that says that the Bruins might consider trading him at some point, but you know, he's a guy that I think you can't really sit on the ninth floor for a, for a long period of time. You know, two games I think is fine, but I think Craig has proven himself in, in, in the NHL, and I think at a certain point you want to have him playing and, you know, being kind of that hound on pucks, a guy that can, you know, shoot the puck from anywhere. I think 
the Bruins would like to see a little more consistency from him. But, you know, just something to kind of keep an eye on. But, you know, top six is really not much of a concern. You know, you've seen Zaka play with Bergeron and DeBrusque. You know, Hall has been up there. Um, but now Hall, I think, has started to find his game a little bit better. And so I think now it makes sense that he's with Krejci and with Pasternak. So the great thing is the Bruins can rotate both of those guys. But I will tell you, things will get interesting once uh, Brad Marchand returns. You know, you got to think that he plays with Bergeron and DeBrusque and then Zaka gets pushed down to play with Charlie Coyle. So things will get very interesting once McAvoy and Marchand uh, get back. So taking a quick look at the Bruins schedule this week, obviously Tuesday against the Dallas Stars. They're they're a pretty good team. You know, they've had a pretty good start to the year. Um, and then the Bruins will play Detroit Thursday night at the Garden, another team that's playing some good hockey out of the gate. They are actually undefeated in five games, three wins, and then two overtime losses. So that will be interesting to see. And then the Bruins will play a second of a back-to-back Friday night in Columbus. Seven o'clock starts for all three of these games this week. So be interesting to see how the Bruins perform on a second of a back-to-back. Was not exactly the uh, best early returns on that first back-to-back, but I do think that the Bruins will, you know, figure it out and be a little bit stronger. So we'll see three interesting games this week. That's for sure. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. Going to move on to talk Celtics. Going to be careful not to talk about too much about the Celtics because uh, you may have noticed on the social pages that uh, we are getting a returning guest who's coming back uh, to talk uh, Celtics this week. So I want to make sure I'm not talking about too much about the Celtics, but we will talk a good amount because the Celtics have uh, started off really strongly. You know, very similar to the Bruins. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about this last night when I was putting together in the notes that the Bruins and the Celtics are kind of playing similar. They're kind of playing similar. They're playing fast. They're playing with pace. And the early returns are great. I think for the Celtics offensively, you've already seen through three games that, okay, they are trying to push the pace. They are trying to get out to a faster start offensively than they did last season. You know, it's just crazy to think where this team was a year ago that it really just was, you really didn't know what the season was going to be. And now it's like a year later here, here they are being, you know, finals contenders, a team that I think a lot of people expect to get back to the finals. So for them to come out of the gate swinging, I think it's great. Uh, Two really, really good grinded out wins to start the season against two Eastern Conference elite teams with the Sixers and the Heat. You know, you say whatever you want about both of those teams and whether they're going to be elite teams in the playoffs. But hey, you know, beating a revamped Sixers team who, you know, granted has had some issues coming out of the gate, they're still a talented team. And I think the Celtics really kind of grinded through that game. You know, anytime you're playing the Sixers and you're playing a team with Joel Embiid and James Harden. And, you know, they get every single foul call. So I think it's it's kind of hard to have any type of flow in a game like that where it just seems like the two of them are constantly going to the free throw line. And 
you know, you can't really have much continuity if you're stopping the play every 30 seconds because there's a foul. So the Celtics, I think, deserve a lot of credit for that game. Jalen and Jason obviously were unbelievable. Uh, they were great in Miami, too, with the Celtics winning uh, with a good second half. So I think that both of them were outstanding in both of those games. You know, clearly the two of them with 35 points each in the opener. Um, and then played really well in Miami as well. So the early returns are good. The Celtics clearly, you know, continue their undefeated stretch to start the season with a road win in Orlando on Saturday night where Jalen Brown, not exactly at his best, but they are quite, you know, picks up this, picks up the slack, scored 27 points, uh, was really good offensively in that game. You know, I think that, not that you're expecting him to score 27 every single game, but the fact that he's shooting the lights out to start the season, I think is a really, really good indicator of, you know, where he is with his confidence that you're not seeing any hesitant, hesitancy with his shooting the three. You know, I think you saw that a little bit last season, but I think he's in a groove and I think it's been an excellent addition to the Celtics starting lineup. I do think that certainly there are some people that thought that Brogdon could and should start, but I think that the Celtics had the great idea, I think, to bring him off the bench and be like, okay, you're going to be more valuable to our team coming off the bench and kind of being that secondary scorer that can help the offense if Jalen and Jason are both off the floor or one of them is off the floor. So Brogdon has been a great addition to this team, but I think, you know, seeing Jason Tatum playing at this high level, this elite level offensively, he's averaging 34.7 points per game in the first three games. So he's been excellent, you know, has rebounded the ball well. Um, And I think just both he and Jalen, I think have just come out the gate really, really motivated and really just we are focused on our performance. We're focused on our team and focusing on getting back to the NBA Finals and, you know, not letting all this offseason drama affect the team, that they've been very professional. Um, And I think that you hope that the two of them can kind of take another step forward in terms of the leadership uh, and being the two guys that everyone looks to um, to, you know, be the leaders and the guys that get everyone going when it's game time. So really pleased with the two of them and how well they have played so far. Um, You know, talking about Derek White, I think that there were definitely a lot of people that when the Celtics made that trade at the trade deadline, there were people that were confused and kind of didn't really understand why the Celtics made the move that they did, you know, trading a first round pick. But I think in the playoffs, he was really good. I think had a good series against the Warriors, but has started off this season great, you know, shooting at a really high percentage, you know, 50% on threes so far this season. So just good to see that he is off to a good start shooting it um, because I think the Celtics really need that from him. You know, they really kind of need that second, not second, but like have the ability to have him added to the shooters that they have that, you know, Grant Williams is a good shooter. Brogdon obviously is a good shooter. You know, Peyton Pritchard's a good shooter. He hasn't played a lot of minutes. 
so far this season. But I think if Derek White can get added to that, you're making this team a lot more dangerous offensively. So I've been very pleased with his offensive game so far this season. Um, and I do think it also takes some pressure off Malcolm Brogdon too. You know, that he's not expected to come in off the bench and be like, okay, we need you to score 18 to 20. You know, you can score 12 points and we'll be perfectly fine. Um, so it's just great starts for Derek White offensively. Brogdon's been great pushing the pace. Grant Williams has picked up right where he left off shooting threes. You know, he's shooting at an 80% clip through three games from downtown. Obviously, that's not going to continue, but... You know, and then speaking of shooters, Sam Hauser, I think, has played well in the small minutes that he's played. That he's knocked down some threes in first-half action that he's played. So excellent to see that he's shooting the ball well. You know, if you add him to another stable, you add him to the stable of shooters that you have. And that's not even mentioning Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So, you know, the Celtics are looking very dangerous offensively so far. Uh, Noah Vontley got the uh, start Saturday night. Al Horford out with a stiff back. You know, I don't know if that was a rest thing or whatever it was, but I thought that he played fairly well in the starting in the starting spot. You know, not someone that's going to score, you know, five points a game. He'll probably be close to that, I would think, but I think him getting an opportunity him getting to show the Celtics what he can do. Um, he's a very good rebounder. I think he's been really good playing with a lot of energy. You know, the Celtics asked him to play a lot of minutes against Joel Embiid um, in the opener, and I think he responded well to that, responded well to playing minutes in Miami and then playing a good bit in Orlando and obviously getting the start. So I think is definitely a guy that plays very motivated, and I think is very someone that has a high motor. And I think if the Celtics have guys like that, it makes them all the more dangerous as a team that they can have someone like him, someone like Blake Griffin, you know, diving on the floor for loose balls. You know, it makes their team gritty. It makes their team dangerous that, okay, they're not going to let anyone come in and push them around. Um, and I think... You know, one of the things that I think someone said at the beginning of the season is either Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart talking about how the Celtics last season were kind of the hunters and, you know, getting to the NBA Finals, but now getting to the Finals, they're coming in this season where they're the hunted. And there are a lot of teams that are going to try to come in and play really hard against them. But I think the Celtics have kind of set the tone that, okay, we're not going to be pushed around. You know, we're going to push back. And I think... You saw some of that with Jalen Brown coming to the defense of Marcus in that first game when Joel Embiid, you know, locked his arm in and pretty much tried to break his arm. Um, but I think just seeing Jalen come to his defense and, you know, seeing that Vonley and Griffin and Blake Griffin are playing really gritty basketball, it's just really good. You know, it's just excellent to see that the Celtics are coming into the season with a chip on their shoulder that okay, we came up short last year, but we're not going to let that happen again. So the early returns are great with this team, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to um, adversity. You know, if they lose a game or if they lose some games in a row, how do they do? You know, I think that that's going to be interesting to see how they respond 
because last season they responded really well to adversity. So I'm very excited to see, you know, how they do tonight in Chicago. Celtics play the Bulls, 8 o'clock start. Yes, unfortunately, the Celtics are playing at the same time the Patriots are, so you might have to make a decision uh, or, you know, a crazy flip back and forth. Um, and then obviously both Chicago teams, Celtics playing them, and the Patriots too. So this is an interesting test because the Bulls, I think, are a decent team. I think that they're a good, a good offensive team. You know, DeMarco Rosen is really good and always seems to play well against the Celtics. You know, Vucevic, I think, has had a good year, has had a good start to his season as well. So I'm curious to see how the Celtics do on the road, you know, finishing up this road trip. Um, because I think this is another good test. This is another team that kind of go back and forth as to their as to whether they'll be a playoff team. But I think a team talent as talented as this, with DeRozan, with Vucevic, with Zach Levine, you know, it'll be a good test to see how the Celtics do uh, to finish their road trip. So I think that the Celtics are favored by six points. I do expect this is going to be close. So uh, hopefully the Celtics can knock down some shots. Uh, keep the turnovers down and continue their perfect start to the season. Celtics actually have pretty much have the week off until they'll play on Friday night against Cleveland, and then they will play Sunday night against Washington. So three games for the Celtics this week, but pretty well spread out. So some decent games. You know, Chicago, I think, is no slouch. You know, Cleveland, I think, is going to be very good this season. You know, in Washington, I don't think that they're going to be like a great team necessarily, but I think that they'll be a good test. So Celtics hopefully pass some tests this week, but it'll be exciting to see. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. We're going to go through some NFL scores from yesterday. Obviously, Patriots and Bears tonight, Monday Night Football, 8-15. Uh, the weather at the moment looks like it's 55 and cloudy, but I do think there's a possibility of maybe some rain. So looking at the games so far this week, week seven already, it's kind of amazing we're already in week seven. Uh, the Cardinals got the win Thursday night football over the Saints, 42-34. Um, Andy Dalton, four touchdown passes, but was picked off three times. So the Cardinals get two pick sixes in this game. So they improve to three and four, and the Saints fall to two and five. The Bengals getting over or getting to 500 with a 35-17 win over the Falcons. Joe Burrow was uh, just ridiculous in this game. Had 481 yards, three touchdown passes. He did have a rushing touchdown. The Bengals uh, dominate the Falcons. 35-17 Falcons dropped to 3-4. and four. Bengals to 4-3. and three. Cowboys defense with a great performance with five turnovers. Dak Prescott returned, and the Cowboys improved to five and two with the win. They beat the Lions twenty-four to six. The Titans coming away with a good home win over the Colts nineteen to ten. Matt Ryan, after throwing for over three hundred fifty yards in last week's game, held to two hundred forty-three, and uh, the offense with three turnovers. So, Titans win nineteen to ten, improved to four and two. Colts fall to 3-3-1. Three, three, 
Taylor Heineke comes in and leads the Commanders to a win after Carson Wentz was put on the injured reserve. Commanders outlast the Packers 23-21. Both teams now at 3-4. and four. Green Bay has now lost three in a row with the offense not playing well at all. Um, and then looking at another team that's had some poor offensive play, the Buccaneers uh, shocked on the road. The Panthers win, beat them 21-3. Panthers are 1-5 and five and fired their coach, but they get their second win of the season. Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman both with 100 yards in this game. So uh, the Buccaneers really searching for answers here, losing 21-3. to The Giants with another late fourth quarter touchdown. Um, they beat the Jags 23-17. to The Giants are 6-1, and and they're winning some close games. So good news for them. Jacksonville actually had a really good offensive game in this one. Trevor Lawrence, 300 yards passing. Travis, Travis Etienne, 114 yards and a touchdown. But Daniel Jones and the Giants get their sixth win, 6-1. Six Jags fall to 2-5. and five. The Ravens getting a block on a late field goal to beat the Browns. Ravens improved to 4-3, Browns 2-5. Jacoby Brissett, 258 yards passing, was 22 of 27, but the Browns unable to complete the comeback as the Ravens hold on with Gus Edwards rushing for two touchdowns. The Jets beat the Broncos yesterday. Jets improved to 5-2, Broncos 2-5. Brees Hall had the uh, 62-yard touchdown, but then left the game with an injury. Uh, Jets win 16-9, Broncos without Russell Wilson. In this game, they fall to 2-5 and five with the loss. The Raiders putting together a great offensive performance. Josh Jacobs, three rushing touchdowns, and the Raiders dominate the Texans for their second win of the season. Raiders 2-4, and four, Texans 1-4-1. One, and one. The Seahawks, speaking of great offensive performances, um, had quite a performance in L.A. against the Chargers. Seahawks improved to 4-3, and three. Chargers fall to 4-3. and three. Kenneth Walker, 168 yards and two touchdowns in the win. The Chiefs dominate the 49ers yesterday afternoon, 44-23. Patrick Mahomes, 423 yards through the air, three touchdowns, and the Chiefs dominate the 49ers. Chiefs at 5-2, and two, 49ers 3-4, and four. and then the Dolphins outlasting the Steelers last night in Sunday Night Football. 16-10, the final score to a tug of Iowa returned through a touchdown pass. No points scored in the second half as the Dolphins hang on to beat the Steelers. Steelers had a couple chances to go ahead late in this game. Kenny Pickett threw two late-game interceptions as the Dolphins win and improve to 4-3. and three. Steelers drop to 2-5. and five. Some teams with bye weeks this week, the Bills, the Rams, the Vikings, and the Eagles. There's three of those teams have at least five wins so far this season, so they'll be back in action next week. Now we're going to get to some uh, baseball. With uh, The World Series matchup has now been determined with the Astros finishing off the Yankees in a four-game sweep, winning yesterday 6-5. to five. Uh, Jeremy Pena with a three-run home run. Houston cut some good uh, leaking hits uh, to go ahead and then ultimately win. So the Astros are back in the World Series for the fourth time in six years, which is uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, I think that start to finish, they were the best team in the American League, and 
you know, the Yankees just for whatever reason ran out of gas in the second half of the season. So a lot of questions for that Yankees team in the offseason. But, you know, Houston just has been dominant. They haven't lost a postseason game this this postseason. So, you know, they're looking every bit as dominant as you would expect a team that won 100 games in the regular season. You know, ironically enough, a bunch of 100-win teams didn't really do much in the playoffs this year. Uh, but Houston, you know, just ridiculously deep in the bullpen with the rotation, with the lineup. You know, this is a team that's played together for quite a few years. So they're quite the formidable opponent um, in the World Series. They will take on the Philadelphia Phillies as they beat the Padres in five games yesterday. Got a 4-3 to three win to win the series. Bryce Harper, the go-ahead two-run home run in the eighth inning. So the Phillies win 4-3, to three, win the series 4-1. to one. And Bryce Harper's in the World Series for the first time in his career. So um, I think the Phillies just, they just have it. You know, a team that has really put it all together with the offense and their ability to come up with big hits, big times. Um, and the pitching rotation has done its job. You know, I don't think that they're necessarily as deep as Houston, but I think getting the timely hits, getting the timely home runs when they've gotten them, you know, they really have all the looks of a classic, you know, a fight for our lives in the last two months of the season, squeak into the playoffs and then just go on a run. You know, we've seen it time and time again. We saw it with Washington a couple of years ago in 2019, similar situation as the uh, Phillies as they were, you know, I don't know if the Phillies were under 500 at one point, but the Nationals, you know, under 500 fought for their lives for a few months, get into the playoffs, get hot and actually beat an Astros team that appeared to be a lot better than Washington was. But sometimes the best team doesn't necessarily win. So I do think that Philadelphia is not out of their depth. You know, if they hit the way that they hit in the NLCS, you know, Harper with Reese Hoskins, with, you know, Alec Baum, with uh, Gene Segura, with Kyle Schwarber, just all the bats that they have, you know, I think could pose a problem for Houston, but Houston doesn't really lose at home. So it'll be interesting to see when the series starts uh, Friday in Houston. Can Philadelphia steal one of those games? I think if they can, they have a very good chance to win the series. And that's actually exactly what they did in San Diego, able to take one of those games and then won three in a row at home. So I think this is going to be an exciting series. I think that it can go at least five, probably can go six. You know, I think Houston probably is the better team. You look at them top to bottom, they're probably the better team, but hey, it's the baseball playoffs. And, you know, you have a team like Philadelphia that is coming in with nothing to lose. You know, I think they came into the playoffs with nothing to lose. They sweep the Cardinals. They take care of the Braves and then, you know, take care of the Padres. So I think they're very dangerous. Um, I don't think Houston will be taking them lightly, but I do think this series could be very similar to 2019 where, you know, there's a game seven on the road and, you know, the Phillies get a big hit and win the series. But who knows? Uh, I do think it's going to be a great series. Very looking forward to it. Um, Phillies in the play in the World Series for the first time 
since 2009 when they won the World Series, beat the Rays. Um, and then Houston, obviously, in the World Series for the fourth time in six years. So some other baseball notes. The Rangers are hiring three-time champion Bruce Bochy to be their next manager, and Terry Francona has agreed to return to the Guardians to manage next season. They had an interesting ride in the postseason, losing to the Yankees in five games. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the NBA as this season has started. Uh, Obviously, the Lakers and the Sixers have started the season 0-3. Neither team has won a game, and the Lakers just uh, look completely like I thought that they would look. You know, just the team that I think doesn't really have enough this season to compete. And, you know, the Sixers, it's just uh, not really sure what's going on there. But, you know, it is early in the season, but I think, you know, there are things that can happen early in the season that can, you know, unfortunately define how it goes. I'm very pleased that the Celtics have started the season off on the right foot, but I think, you know, clearly it's sometimes there can be a lot of a lot of pressure, and I think that there are certain teams that just can't handle it. Uh, but again, we're three games, four games into the season. You know, it's hard to kind of make any type of proclamations about where teams are going to be, you know, in May and June. But it is interesting. You know, Utah has had a pretty good start to the season. They just beat the Pelicans yesterday in overtime, 122-121. Uh, the Pelicans losing... Um, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson to injury in that loss. Um, Chris Paul reaches 11,000 career assists. Um, and I think Levine, Zach Levine returned to the Bulls uh, yesterday or the day before, maybe it was Saturday night, with 23 points. So I guess we'll just take a quick look at the standings. You know, Celtics 3-0, Utah and Portland, both 3-0 to start the season. And then obviously, Lakers and the Sixers 0-3 with uh, the Kings, the Rockets, the Thunder, and the Magic. So, I think looking at the NBA schedule tonight, there are quite a few games. Celtics and Bulls obviously playing at 8. Indiana travels to Philadelphia, 7 o'clock start there. Toronto and Miami from Florida starts at 7.30, Orlando at New York at 7.30, Utah at Houston, Brooklyn at Memphis, San Antonio at Minnesota, all of those games are at 8 o'clock, and then Denver and Portland play tonight at 10. So moving over to the NHL, there have been uh, some more games. Uh, the league's been going for like a week and a half, I think. Uh, just some notes from around the league. Um the Sharks get their second win of the season yesterday. James Reimer, 31 saves in the shutout. The uh, Blackhawks have won three in a row. They had to put Peter Morazic, their goaltender, on injured reserve. So we are going to take a look at some standings in the National Hockey League. Teams, Most teams have played five or six games, uh, five, six, or seven games. There are some teams like St. Louis who has somehow played three games. I'm not really sure how that works, but I'm just taking a look at where the standings are right now. In the Metro, Pittsburgh leads the division, and Philadelphia, surprisingly, in second place. They've had a good start to the season, so the top three in the Metro, 
Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Carolina. And then in the Atlantic, the Bruins, the Panthers, and the Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo have had a Buffalo's had a pretty good start to the season. Um, but the Bruins with 10 points actually lead the league in points so far with 10 points in their first six games. Detroit and Toronto are in the wild card spots with the Rangers in Ottawa, New Jersey, Washington, Tampa Bay, Montreal, and Columbus a couple points back. So, you know, obviously the standings are going to be very tight at this point, but it's at least good to see the Bruins gotten off to a good start and are in first place in the West, in the Central, uh, Dallas, Colorado, and St. Louis in the top three, and then in the Pacific, Calgary, Vegas, and Seattle. And then Chicago and Los Angeles in playoff spots currently, but you know, clearly that's going to change. Uh, taking a look at some NHL games tonight, Bruins obviously, as we mentioned, will play Tuesday night against Dallas. So six games on the slate tonight. Dallas and Ottawa from Canada, uh, Washington at New Jersey, both of those games at 7 o'clock. And then Pittsburgh and Edmonton, St. Louis and Winnipeg at 8 o'clock. And then Toronto and Vegas at 10, Carolina and Vancouver at 10.30. So I think that that's going to do it for the NHL. We'll give you some quick college football notes before we uh, let you guys go. Um, in college football, in the AP Top 25, the top six teams all stayed the same. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, and Alabama, 1-6. to six. Taking a look at some teams that uh, rose, um, LSU jumping into the top 25, they are at 18. South Carolina also jumping in to the top 25, they are at 25. Wake Forest jumped up three spots with their win. Penn State jumped up three spots with their win. Wake Forest tied for 10th with USC, or excuse me, their 11th. Um, after they were 14th, Penn State from 16 to 13 with the win. Um, Ole Miss drops down to 15 after LSU dealt them the upset. Ole Miss was 7th. They are now 15th. Kansas State 17th is now 22nd after TCU beat them. Um, Oklahoma State, Oregon, and USC back in the top 10. So we'll take a look at some games this week. There are a couple of ranked games going on uh, Saturday the 29th. Uh, Second-ranked Ohio State, 13th-ranked Penn State. That game, 12 o'clock Saturday. Uh, a good Big 12 game at 3.30, ninth-ranked Oklahoma State, 22nd-ranked Kansas State. Um, and then at 7 on ESPN, 19th-ranked uh, Kentucky against third-ranked Tennessee. So a couple of decent games on that Saturday, so we will see. So I think um, that probably is going to do it for me this week. Uh, really looking forward to the Patriots-Bears game tonight. Obviously, we'll be back with you guys in a week. We'll have two Patriot games uh, to kind of recap. But uh, as, as always, you can listen to a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. And we will be back with you folks on Friday. Have a good week, everyone.